All right. Well, we are opening a new campus in Maplewood on November 18th and 19th. And this has gotten a little lost in the focus around Minneapolis, but I keep running into people who tell me how excited they are for the opening of Maplewood. Even though we haven't really talked about it or advertised it that much, I was up in Grand Marais, Minnesota, off the North Shore. I ran into this young couple, and they're like, we can't wait for Maplewood to open. And then a few days later, I ran into another family from our church, and they said, we're so excited about Maplewood. And the reason why I think this is generating such excitement, even though we haven't advertised it that much, is because it might be the most centrally located of any of our campuses. Here's a map of where it's going to be. It's right off of Highway 36 in Edgerton. And when I say right off of Highway 36, I mean you just get off and it is right there. It's about six minutes from downtown St. Paul. It's one minute from Roseville, right near Oakdale, Little Canada. And we're taking an older church and we're renovating it. So it's going to have kind of a cozy neighborhood church feel, but you're also going to have Eagle Brook and everything you'd expect from that experience. Here's what I know. I know that in about 30 seconds to a minute, each of us can be used by God in another person's life. That's how long it takes to send a text message or an email. Takes to walk over to someone's office or across the cul-de-sac to invite them to come to church. And I believe you know someone who lives in Roseville or St. Paul or Maplewood or who goes to college near this uh, Maplewood campus. And I just want to encourage you to think of who that person is. And how could you take a moment to invite them to church? talk to people all the time who are like, man, I came to church, God got a hold of my life, and I'll say, how did you start coming? He said, well, my neighbor invited me, my coworker invited me, a good friend of mine invited me to come to church. So Maplewood, November 18th and 19th. Today we are in the third and final week of a series called God on Trial, where we've been looking at a book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was a prophet, and the whole book is essentially a conversation or a back and forth that Habakkuk is having with God. And here's how Habakkuk begins. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? At the time, this nation of Israel was in a state of complete spiritual and moral oppression. There was wickedness, there was evil, there was violence. And Habakkuk is wondering, God, how long are you going to put up with this? As we've been mentioning throughout the series, it's kind of interesting that God allows a prophet like Habakkuk to question him that way. Seems that our God isn't threatened by our honest questions and frustrations. And so God responds back to Habakkuk. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the wicked Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to bring judgment and punishment upon Israel. And Habakkuk's like, that's not what I had in mind at all. They're worse than we are. I mean, how are you going to use them? They're more wicked than us to punish and judge us. He even reminds God at one point, your eyes are too pure to look at evil. And God responds back to Habakkuk. And he doesn't give him like a five-point outline of why suffering and evil exist in the world today. Here's what it says at the end of chapter 2. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple... Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. In other words, Habakkuk, I am God, and you are not. 
C.S. Lewis is a famous author and theologian, and he's written about how in past centuries, we seem to understand that God was on the throne and we were on trial. We seem to understand that we were sinful and God was going to judge our life. We were going to have to give an account of our life to God. And God was on the throne and we were on trial. But he says in the last half century to century or so, we've begun to try to shift that a little bit. And now we like to think, I'm on the throne. And God, you're on trial. And let me ask you some questions as to why you allow evil and suffering. And if you have good answers, maybe I'll believe in you. But if you don't have good answers, well then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to follow you. I'm done with you. We like to think that we're on the throne. It's a wise caution on Lewis's part. It's good to bring God our honest questions. It's good to bring God our honest frustrations. But let's not forget who's on the throne and who's not. Let's not forget who's God and who's not. Habakkuk gets to that point at the beginning of chapter 3. He says to God, he says this, Lord, I have heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. He gets to the point of going, you are God and I am not. And that brings us to chapter 3, the final chapter in Habakkuk. And I think the most important verse is found in chapter or verse 17. And here's what it says. Though the fig leaf does not bud, this is Habakkuk speaking, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. What is Habakkuk saying here? He's saying nothing's going well. I mean, the fig tree, it's not budding. There's nothing happening. There's no new growth in my life. That's just, it's just, it's just not happening. There's no herd in the stalls, which means if we run out of food, we have nothing in reserve. The olive crops, they're failing. In a Mediterranean culture, figs, olives, sheep, that was your economy. If, if those things weren't going well, that meant disease and famine and death. And that's what the nation of Israel was experiencing. Can anyone here relate a little? I mean, you probably wouldn't say, well, there's no herd in my stalls, but you might say there's no money in my bank account. You might say there's no hope in my marriage. You might say that, you know, there's just no point in chasing that dream because I know I'm going to fail. You feel empty. You feel like a failure. I went through a season in my life one time where I remember telling my wife, I said, I just need some good news. I just need some good news. It, it seemed like every email, every text message, every conversation, bad news. And so I would walk away with this feeling of discouragement. And you live in a season like that long enough, and you don't just feel discouraged. You live in a state of discouragement. And that's where you'd expect Habakkuk to be. But, but look at what he says after all this. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Years ago, I was invited by an organization in Iowa that was putting on a youth rally for teenagers, and they invited me to come and speak, and they were offering me $1,200, 
which at the time for one talk was about three times more than I'd ever made for doing a message like that. And then they said, we want you to speak on a topic that is my favorite topic to speak to teenagers about. You may wonder, what's that? What's your favorite topic to speak to teenagers about? Sex. And here's why it's my favorite topic. You speak to teenagers on any other topic, and what you see as you're looking out in the room is this. Just like not paying attention. Then you speak on sex. You look out in the audience. Here's what you see. I mean, they are locked in for that message. So I said, this is great. This is one of my favorite topics to speak to teenagers about. Sign me up. They said, well, we want to find a female speaker to speak to the girls. You're going to speak to the boys. So when we find a female speaker, we'll send you the contract. A couple weeks later, they called me. They said, we found a female speaker. But she said if she was going to come and speak, she was insisting that her husband be the speaker for the men. We agreed. You're out. Now, they were very kind about this. In fact, a couple weeks later, I got a box in the mail from this organization And I opened up the box, and I I don't even know how to describe this thing. It was a wax chocolate bear. It looked like a teddy bear. It was made of wax, and it smelled like chocolate. And the point was, you were supposed to put it in a room in your house that you wanted to smell better. And so we had a basement that had a little musty smell. I put it down there. Worked great. Every time I went down there, I'm like, smells like chocolate. But every time I would walk past that thing, I would just chuckle to myself and I would think, Jason, don't worry. We didn't give you $1,200, but here's a wax chocolate bear for you instead. (laughs) You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're asking God for $1,200 and you got a wax chocolate bear? I mean, I've had times where I'm praying for a friend to come to God, to come to Christ, and they end up pushing God further away. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're praying about your health and the condition gets worse. Or you're praying for a raise and your company downsizes. That was Habakkuk. Habakkuk is praying for the fig trees to bud, the stalls to be filled with livestock, the olive crops to be growing. And instead what he gets is No bud on the fig trees, no herd in the stalls, and the olive crops are failing. And yet. If you read through the book of Habakkuk on your own this week, just grab your pen, circle that word, yet. Here he talks about everything in my life's not going well, all my circumstances aren't great, and then he says this one little word, yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I think to myself, how? I mean, nothing's going well in your life. How how are you going to rejoice or thank God? Is this just some sort of like positive thinking? Bury your head in the sand. It's just like that meme with that dog. Everything around him is like on fire. He's like, no, we're fine. Everything's great. We're we're fine. Is that what this is? No, I, I don't think that's what it was at all. I think that Habakkuk was able to praise God despite what was happening in his life. And here's why. Because he did not infer the goodness of God based on what was happening in his life. He inferred the goodness of God based on who God is. What do I mean by that? 
What I mean is that oftentimes when you hear someone say, oh God, you are so good, I'm so blessed, what just happened? Well, they got the house. Put an offer on the house, they got the house. God, you are so good, we are so blessed. They just had another child. Had their third baby, holding the baby in their hands. God, you are so good, we are so blessed. They just won the game. Hey, you just won the game. You just won the section championship. How does that feel? Oh, God, you are so good. We are so blessed. We tend to infer that God is good and we are blessed based upon good circumstances happening in our life. But Habakkuk didn't do that. Habakkuk did not infer God's goodness based on what was happening in his life. He inferred God's goodness based on who God was. In 1851, there was a missionary named Alan Gardner, and he set sail from London, England to South America with a group of other missionaries, and they were headed to South America to try to reach natives living in the jungle for Jesus Christ. There was these natives, they'd never even heard about Jesus before. And so he and this group of people were going to go and try to reach them for Christ, but as their ship got close to South America, they ended up getting caught in a massive storm. And their ship was shipwrecked on an uninhabited island off the coast. So as the storm cleared and they made their way to this island, they looked around. There was nobody around. There was nothing there. And they sat down. And one by one, they began to die of starvation. And the reason that we know this is because this man, Alan Gardner, kept a journal where he wrote each day to God. And he wrote, I'm the only one still alive. And here's what he wrote as the last entry in his journal. He quoted from Psalm 34, verse 10, which says this, Even strong lions sometimes go hungry. Here's this young man who's dying of starvation. And he quotes a verse from the Bible that says, Even strong young lions sometimes grow hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. For the last entry of his Bible, or his journal, the last entry that Alan Gardner ever wrote, these were the words that he put from the pen to paper, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Here was this man on an uninhabited island dying of starvation, and not to be too graphic, but all of his friends' bones are decaying in the sun. He's never going to see his family again. He's never going to have a good meal again. He's never going to drink a hot cup of coffee ever again. And think about what he was going to do. He's going to serve God in the jungles of South America. I mean, if ever there was a person who would be like, God, I was serving you. I was sacrificing for you. And this is what I get. It would have been Alan Gardner. And yet he took the last moment of his life to write the words, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I would love to be a man like Alan Gardner. I can do without the shipwreck part. Okay, I don't need to be Tom Hanks talking to a volleyball Wilson. Okay, I can, I can do without all that. But I would love to recognize the goodness of God no matter what was happening in my life. 
And wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to be the kind of person that has joy even when your circumstances aren't good? Wouldn't you love to be the kind of person who's grateful and who has gratitude even though like, it doesn't appear there's a lot to be grateful for? Wouldn't it be something if you and I, if our inner attitude was not determined by our outer circumstances? I believe it's possible, and I want to show you a couple ways right out of the book of Habakkuk of how you can begin to have joy and gratitude even when your circumstances aren't great. And here's the first way, repeat. Repeat what? Well, here's what Habakkuk says. He says, I will celebrate in the Lord. Now, it's interesting, this verb celebrate in the original language, it carries with it a tense that indicates this is an ongoing action. So this wasn't like, well, I'm going to celebrate him one time. You know, a few years ago, I celebrated the Lord. No, every day, continually, repeatedly, I will celebrate the Lord. Let me ask you, what is it that you do every day? I was at a lunch recently with a business person who attends our church, and his company had just closed on a $2 billion deal earlier that week. I was like, I had an egg McMuffin for breakfast. Like, we, we just didn't have a whole lot of in common as far as like the scale of our leadership. But at one point, he took out of his briefcase this piece of paper that was laminated. And he slid it across to me. He said, this might seem silly, but I read this every day. And I looked at the piece of paper, and there was a picture of his family. And he had his priorities listed out, my faith in Jesus Christ, my wife, my kids. And then he had some statements about who he is. One of them was, I am a child of God. He said, I read this every single day to remind myself of who I am and who God is. Let me ask you again, what do you do every day? I got an email from a woman recently who was uh, talking about something in one of my messages, and she wrote this. She said, I sort of always had this idea that scripture memory wasn't important. Memorizing verses from the Bible, eh, it's not that important. She said, it was just to be an impressive Christian. You know, that you could kind of walk around and be like, Matthew 6, says, seek ye first the kingdom. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Now, you're, you're smart, you're spiritual. It was just to kind of be an impressive sort of Christian. But then she wrote these words. She says, but no, Satan is real. And when Satan tempted Jesus, he used scripture to fight back. She said, it hit me. If Jesus used scripture to win the battle, then I need to use it to win mine. So every single week, she says, I set a goal of memorizing one verse from the Bible. She said, when I'm driving in the car, when I'm brushing my teeth, oftentimes I'm thinking about that verse and trying to commit it to memory. Now, she might not need that verse that week, but I'm telling you, there is going to be a week in the future when the fig isn't budding and the olive crops are failing, and God is going to use that verse to help her win a battle in her mind. What is it that you do every day? Years ago, our family went to Valley Fair, and there's a ride at Valley Fair called the North Star. Let me show you a picture of this thing. This is 20 stories off the ground. 
not 20 feet off the ground, 20 stories, that's 200 feet. This, te- this thing s- travels at a speed of 40 miles per hour as you go around in a circle. Now earlier, I had gone on several roller coasters, didn't really have a problem, but then I went on a teacup that went around, and it was for five and under, and I was like, stop the ride. Like just spinning, I'm like, I can't, I can't handle it. And so as we're going up on the North Star, I kind of put my hand over on my oldest daughter, just to reassure her, it's going to be okay. Daddy's here. I never moved my hand. Not because she needed it. She was like, wee, this is fun. I'm like, Lord have mercy. This thing is a torture chamber. Okay, I'm telling you. You just go around and around. Somebody told me, they're like, fine, pick a spot on the horizon, just lock it. How? Every time I'd pick a spot, I was like, I'm flying around, going the other way. I can't find it again. The whole time I'm thinking to myself, if I throw up, that cinnamon bun's going to travel 200 feet before it hits somebody's head. But here's what I notice about the North Star. Its power is in its repetition. There's no twists, there's no turns, there's no changes. It's the same thing every time, but it's continuous movement in the same direction. Powerful life change often happens the same way. Continuous movement in the same direction. We would love if it didn't. We would love to be able to say, I'm eating healthy today. Never going to eat healthy again in my life. But I think if I eat healthy today, I'll be healthy for the rest of my life. We would love to be able to say, I'm exercising for today. I probably won't ever do it again, but I, I, doctor, I exercised once this year. We would love to be able to say, well, I read the Bible once when I was a kid. I went to church one time. But doing something one time often has very little impact in our life. And here's why. It's not what we do that marks our life. It's what we repeat. So let me ask you again, what do you do every day? If I were to ask some people that question, they would say, well, I read my Bible every day. I I pray to God every day. Some people would say, I read a book to stretch my mind. I go to work. I'm productive every single day. I exercise every single day. Other people, if they were honest, might say, I drink every day, smoke every day. I probably gossip a little bit every day. I go on my phone for at least a few hours every day. I spend time playing video games for hours. Now, what's interesting about that second list is that in and of themselves, they're not bad. I mean, you can go play a video game tomorrow. You're not going to notice like a huge change in your life. But if you're doing it every day repeatedly, over time, that will begin to shape who you are. Habakkuk says, I'm going to celebrate the Lord. I'm going to celebrate the Lord repeatedly when I don't feel like celebrating him, when I don't even need to celebrate him. I'm going to celebrate Because there's going to come a day in the future when I will need to be the kind of person who is grateful and who praises God even when my circumstances aren't all that great. Here's the second way to become a joyful person, a grateful person, even when your outer circumstances aren't all that great. And it says, remember. You have to repeat and then you have to remember. Look at what Habakkuk says. 
In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I heard the report about you, Lord. I stand in awe of your deeds. In other words, God, I've heard some things about you. I've heard what you do in people's lives, but now I'm remembering. And so I'm standing in awe. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you just stood back and you were like, God, wow. And you remembered how much he loved you. I was speaking at a men's retreat one time and we sang this song, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And I remember singing that song when I was in college and I was a new Christian and I knew how sinful I was. And I remember just being blown away and in awe as a college student of going, God, how you would save me? You You would love me? And here I was speaking at this men's retreat and I was in a much different place in my life and a much different place in my faith, but it just hit me again and I started to remember. I started to remember all that God has done and all the ways that God has loved me throughout my life. But it took remembering. Earlier this year, a hero of my faith died of cancer. His name was Tim Keller, and Tim Keller was a pastor in New York. He's an author of many best-selling books. If you haven't read them, you should. should. But he died of cancer, and I came across this quote from his wife, Kathy. And his wife, Kathy, they had been married for 47 years, 47 years of marriage. And here is her quote. She said, just because God didn't answer my way, doesn't mean that God didn't answer anyway. That that wasn't just lip service. This was a woman who had lost her husband of 47 years. And my guess is that she had prayed that he would be healed of his cancer and that he would live. And here she was saying to God, God, even if you don't answer my prayer my way, that doesn't mean that you didn't answer it in some way. That doesn't mean that you didn't hear my prayer and that you didn't respond in some way. I think her husband, Tim, would have been proud because Tim once wrote these words, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what God knows. God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what God knows. Now think about that quote for just a moment, because it's a little bit hard pill to swallow when you're praying for someone to live and they don't live. But I think he's right. I think that God is so good and God is totally in control. And so Habakkuk says, I'm going to rejoice. Not because my circumstances are going that well, not because everything's going the way I want them to go. I'm going to rejoice, God, in who you are. Every few years, there's one book that I reread, and I don't reread a lot of books, uh, but there's one book every few years I need to be reminded, and the book is by A.W. Tozer. It's called Knowledge of the Holy, and every chapter is about an attribute of God, and I reread that book because sometimes I get so caught up in me. It's about me and what I'm feeling and what I want, who I am, and everything, me, me, me. And I need to read this book because I need to be reminded it's about God. And I need to know that he is 
all faithful and he is never changing and he is all powerful and knows all things. I need to be reminded that he is eternal and he's merciful and he's kind and he's compassionate. I need to be reminded that my joy in life isn't based on whether I won fantasy football this week or whether my kids were behaving the way I want them to. My joy in life is found in who God is. I've heard it said that praise is a problem for your problems. I don't know what your problems are today, but here's what I believe. If you start praising God, even in your problems, your problems will seem a little smaller. If you have a problem with worry or anxiety and you start praising God for who he is and what he's done, you'll start to realize God holds me in his hand. No one can snatch me out of his hand and your worry will get a little bit less. If you're dealing with a problem of discouragement, you start praising God for who he is and what he's done. You start to have hope again. You start realizing there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Praise is a problem for your problems. I was reading an article about three different organizations that were rescuing young girls out of sex trafficking. And as you can imagine, these young women had extreme trauma from what they had been through in their life. And they were studying these three organizations, and they found that one of them was having success in helping these young women deal with their trauma, and the other two weren't having as much success. And so they dug into it. Well, what was the difference? And what they found was that the organization that was successfully helping these young women deal with their past trauma was doing one thing different. They were having these girls wake up in the morning and thank God for one thing in their life. Even if it was something small, even if it was just a soft blanket, a good night's sleep, whatever it might be, just thank God for one thing. And as researchers dug into this whole situation, here's what they found. Gratitude can begin to heal our brains. That God designed us then when we start to become grateful and we thank God and we praise God, even for just something small, it can heal a person's brain. In his book, Grace is Greater, author Kyle Eidelman tells a story about a time that his church got an email from a man asking if they would pay for his headstone. That's an unusual request. I don't believe we've ever gotten a request, request like that. And even more unusual was he told them what he wanted written on his headstone. He said, I want these words engraved. Lord, forgive me for the days that I wasn't grateful. Kyle read this email and he thought, I, I want to meet this person. I have so many questions like, why is he picking out a gravestone and why does he want that inscribed? And so he met with this man. His name was Marcus. Marcus said he had woken up one morning and he was orange. Orange as a pumpkin. He was jaundiced. He told him, he said, I was a heavy drinker earlier in my life. I thought my liver had failed. But I went to the emergency room and they said, you have advanced cancer. You have days to live. He said, chemo slowed down the process a little bit, but he said something so strange started to happen. 
He said, I started to experience more joy and more gratitude than I had ever experienced in my life. He said it was just small things. I would wake up and I'd have a cup of coffee and I would just thank God. And my grandkids would come visit and I would see their smile and I would just thank God. And then he said I started to to thank God for things that I couldn't even see. I became so grateful for Jesus Christ's death on the cross and how he had died for a sinner like me. And I became so grateful for the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ and for his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. He said it was the strangest thing because I started to experience more joy than I'd ever experienced at any other time in my life. And he said, that's when it hit me. How many days had I gone where I was ungrateful? How many days of my life had I just breezed through doing everything I needed to do and I never stopped to say thank you to God. I never was grateful for what was in my life. And so he said, as people wander through the cemetery, I hope that they will look at this gravestone and in one moment they will know my problem. I was ungrateful. But in one moment they will know the solution. Lord, forgive me. That's the message I want to pass on. Lord, forgive me for the days that I wasn't grateful. Message received. Let's pray together. God, there are people who are listening to this message who relate to a life that's just not going the way they want. And it's discouraging because it just seems like there's bad news and, and, and they just stuck. And they feel empty and some of us feel like a failure and some of us feel like there's just nothing exciting or new or growing in our life. And yet, and yet today, God, we want to rejoice in you. We want to thank you. We want to have a heart of joy and gratitude no matter what's happening in our life. God, that's supernatural. That doesn't happen naturally. And so supernaturally, I pray for everyone here that our inner attitude and our heart and our joy and our gratitude would not be so determined and affected by our outer circumstances in life. God, if there's someone here today who needs you, I pray that they would feel your touch and your hand on their life. And God, as we walk from here, Lord, I hope, I pray that we do not live another day ungrateful. I pray, I hope that every day we find a moment to say thank you to the God of our salvation, the God who gave us life and breath and every good gift that we have. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Next weekend, we are starting a new series called Attacking Anxiety. It's going to be a great series. You're going to want to invite someone to come with you. We'll see you then.